Watch this immediately. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Watch This Immediately, the podcast that revels in shaming the ignorance of its two hosts. Who, me? I'm one of those hosts, and my name is Stephen Krauss, but who is that other host? Munir here. That's Munir. And we have a treat for you today because we watched absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. We can't watch everything. But I've been given an assignment, and my assignment this time was to listen to the classic in the rapist genre... All Eyes on Me by Tupac. Yes. And I did that thing. Yes, you did. I listened to that album. Yeah. Thanks so, for listening, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, let me let me give you the, 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 the background on this thing. Yeah, please. Like us. we usually do. So, yeah, this uh, the back the backdrop of this album. So Tupac, man, he had been he had been shot nine times. I think something like um, outside of a recording studio. Now that's nine bullets in one shooting or nine separate incidents? Uh, no, no, nine, in one shooting. Okay. That doesn't make it better. Or, or that worse. might be 50, so I don't know. But he was shot. He was shot more than anyone wants to be shot. Yes. And, you know, then he he uh, checked himself out of the hospital the next day because he thought he was there was an active contract in his life because he was in New York. It's not unreasonable if you've been shot. Yeah. And, you know, this was... This was back um, bef- basically in the middle of the East-West Coast beef. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, at, the, at that point, Tupac ends up going to jail. So he's languishing in a New York jail for a few months until finally a uh, guardian angel appears. Oh, one of the guys in the Red Berets? <laughs> no. Oh. This is one, one Suge Knight. Was he wearing a Red Beret? I mean, he may have been. He wore a lot of red. Something jaunty. Yeah. Uh, Suge Knight, uh, he was a he was a UNLV football player turned bodyguard. And he somehow parlayed this into running a record label. <laughs> I love how every record label, every independent record label, at some point in the story, there's just how, and somehow they became a record label. Yeah. Yeah, and and so Suge Knight, you know, he started kind of muscling people. He got Dr. Dre out of his contract with Eazy-E. And then, you know, Dr. Dre found Snoop Dogg, um, and they together um, released The Chronic and then uh, Snoop Dogg's debut, Doggy Style. Now, after Doggy Style came out, you know, there were... There was a Dog Pound album. There was some other stuff that they put out, but but nothing as big as The Chronic or um, or Doggy Style. So Suge Knight goes over to New York, bails Tupac out. They go back to California. Tupac instantly begins like recording in a frenzy. Now there are people who say that you know he was he was recording like like I think he recorded some some crazy amount of songs, over a hundred. Jesus. Yeah, and so I mean that's why you have so many posthumous Tupac uh, albums because he has a lot of music that wasn't released. I remember a guy that I worked with at Boston Market back in the '90s was a real big proponent of the Tupac is not dead theory yeah. because he kept releasing albums. <laughs> okay, yeah, it, it couldn't have just been because you know he was 
recording four songs at a time. I don't think he understood the concept of studios and how they worked. Yeah. And, and you know, as I alluded to, during this point of, of prolific productivity, there were times, I think, uh, when there would be like four or five studios going at the same time. Jesus. And Tupac is just going from one studio to another, like just laying down the vocals. It's not healthy. Well, you need to rest. Exactly. Well, unfortunately, when he decided to uh, have a little rest and relaxation in Las Vegas, uh, things didn't go that well. Oh, is that when he got shot? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. You need to stay in the studio. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, um, the, the culmination of the, of the sessions was a two disc album released in 1996 all eyes on me that's now, what you listened to was this one released within his lifetime yes okay yeah it was it was his last album it was the last album he released while he was alive so this is arguably the best of those sessions yes okay just wanted to be sure <laughs> I, I think you uh you have thoughts about this, please. I do. I recognize this is an impressive achievement. And this does not need my benediction to be a cultural touchstone. The bona fides of this album are on view for everyone to see. This was a huge selling album. You still see people to this day with Tupac shirts, Tupac tattoos. You still hear... California Love, at least, and I'm sure if you're listening to the right radio stations, you hear a lot of songs from this album. Mm-hmm. I did not enjoy a moment of this album. What? I didn't like any of it. I mean, not not even, like, California Love? I never liked California Love. Wow. Okay, fine. It, this album is aggressively mid-tempo, and that's... I got to have some movement. I got to have some color. I got to have some dynamics. This album, again, it's it's super mid-tempo. There's not a whole lot of super slow songs. There's not a whole lot of fast mm-hmm. songs. Um, Tupac's flow is very much the same yeah. from song to song. Oh, yeah. It's very distinctive, and there's nothing wrong with being distinctive. But, God, I got tired of it really quick. Mm-hmm. And... It's. It wouldn't be accurate to say that it's not a world that I'm interested in because we we know that's not true. Um, for as much of the wire and the corner and all the various crime dramas that I've watched and read, I'm interested in this this stuff. But it's not presented in a way that I find compelling in the least. And I need to give you hell for this. When we were first talking about this podcast, Mm -hmm. I discussed news radio as one of the things that I wanted to cover on it. Yes, yes. And I said, I'd like to do four episodes just to really get a flavor of it. Mm -hmm. And this is not verbatim, but your response was, I'd kind of like to keep the research thing to 40, 45 minutes. This album is two hours and 15 goddamn minutes long. Look, I mean... I'm, I'm, two hours I don't, and 15 minutes long. Look, you know how I am. I don't hold myself to the same standards I expect from other people. Two hours and 15 minutes. That's that's one, that, This is one of my flaws. You've known this about me. You know. I will get that time back from you. Uh, 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 
okay. As God is my witness, <laughs> my life will be two hours and 15 minutes longer than yours. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to make it happen, but it will happen. You know, I, I feel like you'll give me some fugu that has not been prepared properly. Possibly. Yeah. And I'll die. But then, you know, you'll eat, you'll eat the fugu two, two hours later just to kind of put the cherry on top. Just be ready for it. Okay. Try to act surprised. Okay. Okay. But it's going to be coming for you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Guys, I don't know if I mentioned it. This album is two hours and 15 minutes in length. Yeah. I don't... I didn't enjoy this. I didn't like this album at all. Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real with you, okay? Mm-hmm. This could have been one CD. It should have been one CD. Any double album would be a... Any great double album would be a fantastic single album. Yes. That is nothing new. It's true for the Beatles. It's true for this. It's true for, you know, Guns N' Roses. Anyone that's made a good double album could have had a great single album. But but here's what I'm going to say. This is not a good double album. Continue. Because there is... There's a whole lot of filler. And, and you know, in a lot of double albums... You know, you'll have these different categories of songs. You'll have categories of songs where one one bucket is songs that have to be released to the world no matter what. Sure. Then you've got the songs that are underrated, still worth listening to. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you've got the songs that are okay, and then finally you've got pure filler. Yeah. And so in a good double album situation the first three categories will comprise about 75% of the songs, which means that while the double album isn't strictly necessary, you understand why it's there. This particular album did not have a lot of like underrated or just okay songs. It was either certified bangers or filler. So how, what's the ratio would you say? Um, I would say there were, what, like 20-some songs on this? 20, 57, <laughs> 130. I think uh, from what I remember, because, you know, back in the day I used to just, I, I would, you know, tape CDs onto tapes and then listen to them as I walked around. Sure. I believe there were seven songs on this album that I would tape onto a tape and and, and, and walk around with. And that is, I would say, probably 30%, 35% of the album. Hmm. And so, you know, and, and really, with walking around songs for me, those are going to be songs that are, like, fun to listen to or important in a way that I'm like, I, I should listen to this because, you know, I need to keep this going. I, I need to expose myself to this over and over so that I remember, like, what the essence of the music is. I need to know the struggle. Yeah. I need to understand the artist. Exactly. Okay. And for the for this, out of, let's say, 20 songs, seven, where I felt it was in either category. That is not good. No. And so, you know, with, with mentioning, like, Tupac had all the posthumous albums, you know, he, he could have put, let's say, changes on this song. Because that was that was a big song in like '98 in one of the um, uh, posthumous released Tupac albums, 
And, I mean, he, in theory, recorded it before he passed away. And so there, there are definitely, and there were songs on, like, the Machiavelli album that I think could have been on this album that would have made it a certified classic. Hmm. You, you could have had a very, very good double album if, uh, if he had just taken the real cream of the crop of all the sessions that he did. Well, once you reach a certain level... No one can tell you what to do. But see, that's the thing. Suge Knight had the ability to tell Tupac what to do. Hmm. Because, in fact, there's a conspiracy theory that Tupac was planning on leaving Death Row Records. And Suge Knight then had him killed, so he couldn't do that. Extreme. Yeah. There are legal measures one could take. Well, I mean, Suge Knight was also reportedly the person who hung Vanilla Ice by his uh, legs out out of like a 50th floor window. Who hasn't wanted to do that to Vanilla Ice? Yeah, and, and made him sign over the rights to like Ice Ice Baby to him. I say again, who hasn't wanted to do that? Yeah. So yeah, 27 songs on this album. Uh, yeah, so as I said, 7 out of 27 for... That's not a good ratio. No, it's, it's not. Yet, I can't say that they made the wrong choice, because again, this album has sold over 10 million copies, I believe. But I would say that that's more... At that time, culture was a lot more monolithic. See, now we have, we have all of the segmentation, music, TV, books... If you like right now, the hundred true fans theory is in full effect. Hmm. But back then, you know, you were really going for I want to sell 10 million albums. And so a lot of albums that really maybe were not that great got a lot of hype. But the fact that it doesn't mean or the fact that it would not fly today Mm -hmm. is irrelevant because it did back then. And it flew so high that it's. To a degree, inescapable today, because even though I knew nothing about this album before hearing it, I knew California Love, and that was it, mm-hmm. and I didn't care for it. Um, but even though I didn't know anything about the album, I knew about the album. Yeah. That album cover is iconic. Yes, it is. That is one of the, you know, if you had to just take 200 images that say the 90s, that would be one of those images. Oh, yeah. That album cover. Um so, yeah, it wouldn't work today. You cannot get that kind of ubiquity that this album provided, but you don't need it now because he had it then. And, of course, death is a great career move. Mm-hmm. If he had lived, this album probably would not be remembered the way that it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, just the same way if Kurt Cobain was still around, Nirvana would still be a good classic rock band, but they would not have the level of appreciation that they've maintained currently. Fair, fair. And fun fact, this video um, debuted on MTV the day that I had my uh, high school graduation practice. <laughs> so, so, yo, here's, here's my vibe back then, right? So I had to go to this high school graduation practice. Okay. But... I had been watching MTV, and and Kurt Loder came across the came across my TV and was like Kurt Loder, arbiter of cool, for exactly, our generation. exactly <laughs> makes no sense. And it was like something like, yeah, at uh, two p.m. Eastern today, we're going to debut the new Tupac song, California Love. And I was like, you know, I've been hearing a lot about this Tupac fella. 
I need to listen to this before I go. I think I need to check that chap out. Yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, man, I, I watched California Love along with untold millions of people as it was unleashed upon the world. Interesting. Interesting. Now, you, you said your graduation practice. Yeah. You actually got to go in in advance? Because my, my school, we just got in like two hours early and we had to run through it before the actual thing. No, no. We, we had a whole thing where we went to our high school and they had set it up like in the gym. And yeah, like we were just practicing, like walking up and whatever. I don't know. Oh, we had ours in the local hockey arena. So we had a well, few minutes before we were actually doing the thing. Oh, no, no. We, we didn't practice at the at the venue where we had the graduation. Oh, this, so this was a separate place. Yeah, this was, this was like strictly a walkthrough for the mechanics of the thing. Hmm. And, yeah, it was stupid. I mean, yeah, super whatever. Important. No. You fuck that up, it's on your permanent record. <laughs> permanent record. <laughs> My permanent record says got through his graduation just fine. Thank you very much. I did, too. I was fine. I don't know. We'll have to check that record. <laughs> but yeah, so you know, this this came out at a time in my life when was uh, a lot of things were happening, a lot of changes, such as what are the changes that Munir was going through at this time? You know, end of high school, going into college, trying to figure out my place in the world. Sure, things like that. And how did West Coast gangster rap? help you realize these things? How did that help you flower into the man that you have become? See, so I think that the human brain is designed to make connections between things. But I distinctly remember reading like, you know, when Tupac got shot and he was in, he was in the hospital. Hmm. And, and I feel like after that happened, um, that's when that year became terrible for me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Tupac was holding all of the good in the world for you. Yeah. Well, and and, and really, things did not uh, turn around until Notorious B.I.G. was killed like, a few months later. <laughs> so <laughs> Really mythic proportion. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. Like, yeah, between Tupac and Notorious B.I.G.'s death, there was a lot of bad stuff going on that's, for me personally. That's shameful. I'm Well, I'm glad that... That man could die to make your life better. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was when I was I was uh, abandoned and told to uh, care for my two sisters while my parents gallivanted across the globe. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Your parents are terrible. Uh, yeah. I can't the, say that enough. Not the best. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, but, so after Tupac died, that was about the beginning of like when things were being set in motion for for them to leave and kind of you know put my sisters upon me like a a bag of dog poop that someone lit on fire sorry ladies if you're listening to this and the notorious big's death was me throwing that flaming bag of dog poop back at the people who threw it at me Beautiful analogy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, as I said, you know, after he, like, after he died, I mean, I was, I was listening to this album. Like, you know, I was, I remember just, I'd be on campus walking around with the seven or maybe even eight songs. I can't even remember. You know, I, I, I still have the tape somewhere at my parents' house. And, um, yeah, you know, like people probably did when Kurt Cobain died. I was like, okay, well, I should listen to some more Tupac now. And 
in addition to this, so in addition to these songs on this album, he had a very uh, incendiary single called Hit Em Up. I don't know if you've heard it. I've heard the title. I have no idea. If I yeah, so, so this title is, uh, it, the song was released after Tupac died. And it was basically him ranting and insulting every one of his enemies from beyond the grave. Like he right. he he alleged that he had slept with the notorious B.I.G.'s wife. He vowed to murder Puffy. Now, all sorts of things like that. I have heard this song because uh, the guy that I used to work with at Boston Market he would play a lot of music in the back. Uh, yeah, you probably um, heard it. And he, I know he played the Machiavelli album one time, but I specifically remember him telling me about how great this song was where he talks about fucking Biggie's wife. So it must have, he must yeah. have been talking about it. It was probably hit him up. Yep. Yep. And so, um, I, I, I knew a guy, man, it's, it's like square ass white dude. He's probably like a regional manager for a, a tool and die company now, <laughs> but this guy would play hit him up every morning. I believe it. And I was like, and like me and my friend, me and my friend Thomas were like, I mean, yeah, he's he is faking the funk, but this is getting a little concerning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get it because this is when I was having my sort of crisis while listening to this album. Of like, I recognize the quality of this. Why don't I like it? Why do I feel absolutely no, no connection to this thing that I recognize is a good representation and possibly one of the better representations of what it is you know this particular i would argue i would argue i would argue against that actually well if not that it is well made yes and it is well produced yes and it's very popular so it is a commercial representation so theoretically one of the easiest rep- representations for me to comprehend as an outsider mm-hmm. so by that metric it is one of the best representations oh, of the craft the- the music, the backing music, the beats, you have all sorts of like just certified Hall of Famers here. You have Dr. Dre, you have DJ Quick, you know, you've got uh, Corrupt, I think, doing a few of his first, or no, sorry, Daz Dillinger doing one of his first few beats. A lot, there are a lot of great producers on this. So as I'm listening to this, I'm like, well, why am I not enjoying it? And my first thought was, well, okay, well, maybe it's not made for me, but I would, I would posit that it is. I would posit that I am square in the demographic for this because pop music is aspirational. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily listen to pop music about your world. You don't necessarily listen to what's about you. You listen to about worlds that you want to see into. And so this album like when I hear music like this, and I know when I've heard California Love, it's coming out of the SUV that's hauling Karens and their kids to soccer practice. <laughs> it is skinny ass white girls <laughs> who are bumping California Love and most of the other gangster rap I've heard. Yeah, that's fair. So that guy was square in the demographic for this album, and it makes perfect sense to me that he was listening to um, Get Him Up. What is hit it? Him Up. Hit Him Up. Yeah. He was listening to Hit Him Up all the time. Well, and you know, one thing that's that was a little annoying for me, at least, is that um, the two songs that that I would argue are are pretty pretty well associated with this album are not on the album itself. 
which is the radio version of California Love. Hmm. So what you have here is the California Love remix. And it's a much smoother beat. You know, and at the end of it, uh, at the end of the remix, you've got Roger Crapman kind of, you know, vamping on the vocoder for like a minute. You know, and so, and then you don't have Hit 'em Up, which Hit 'em Up, I, I would, I would say is pretty heavily associated with the All Eyes on Me era, at least. Hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, to get both of those songs, you had to buy uh, CD singles. Bastards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you spent what at this point probably would have been about fifteen dollars for a double CD. Uh, no, the, uh, no, I remember this. It was twenty three ninety nine. Oh my god! Yeah. So that was before the pricing, the bottom fell out, and the pricing for yeah. CDs. Okay. Wow. So you, you're doing that, and I'm going to say you're spending four fifty for each of the singles. Uh, yeah. Four. Well, yep. Four fifty. Four ninety nine. That yep. is dirty pool. Yeah. It is. It is. But, you know, this this was the era of the CD single. Like Death Row Records, for example, um, they were they were big on this stuff. Like, you know, Snoop Dogg had several of them. Nate Dogg, whose album was actually recorded with Death Row but never released by Death Row, they had a CD single, which basically was like this myth. It was, it was this harbinger of this mythical lost album by Nate Dogg that... That was eventually released and actually is like a certified banger. Hmm. I mean, I'm talking like, like that's a double album where it is actually like 75% of the songs are enjoyable to listen to. All right. Yeah. I think, I think I just don't like Tupac. I could see that. Cause I, you mentioned doggy style earlier. That album was inescapable and I liked that. Um, yeah, you know, doggy style, it was, it was like the single, the single disc version of this album, because there's a fair amount of filler on that on that CD. Like, basically, side two of it is all filler. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's it was like one tape, whereas this was two CDs, two tapes, and so I think that additional financial investment uh, made made people or me resent it more. <laughs> Um, yeah, I I listened to a lot of this album driving in my car because I just like to listen to music in my in my car. Yeah, um, for a long time that would be where I would listen to most of my music. And Pe- you know, people would argue that 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 is where this this, this uh, sort of album should be listened to. And I just I couldn't get. I couldn't get my head around it. Um, his his lyrics didn't really grab me. Um, there was the song with the phone sex. Yeah. That was where I felt my soul leave my body. So I'm essentially just listening to two people have the dorkiest phone sex. Yeah. And look, talking dirty is great between the two people who are talking dirty. For the rest of the world, it is dumb because your dirty talk is great between the two of you. Yeah, because it should only—it's—it only is enjoyable to the two of you. All the rest of us who are hearing this song are just yeah, like I was embarrassed. Skits, man. The, the skits were 
going a little overboard by this point in time. I do remember I had a friend in high school who was really into rap music, and he would give me a ride home from school frequently. Yeah. And yeah, he would he would play all these various um, albums, and he would like play the skits for me. He's like, "Man, this is hilarious." I specifically remember one that had uh, like a Robin Leach lifestyles of rich and famous. Oh kind of yes, thing. I know exactly. It's that's the twenty dollars sack pyramid. Okay, I just off the chronic boy. Okay, fantastic. Well, I look forward to hearing that again. Yes, um, because I just remember. Hey, hey, bitch. Yes. How much for head? <laughs> <laughs> Some friends of mine and I in in college. Any time that one of us would happen to drive by the other, we would just like roll down the window and like. How much for head? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, so. and, and, and his name was uh, Robert Lynch. Oh, okay. And, and you know, that's in, in uh, reference to the Lynch mob. I see. I think, yes. So, yeah, the, the skits, I remember the era of the skits. I mean, the $20 sock pyramid is, is thought to be one of the funniest skits ever in rap. So if you're not on board with that one, I'm going to tell you, they don't get better. Okay. We'll see. I, I remember, I, I know I'm going to laugh yeah. endlessly when I hear how much for head. Because <laughs> I knew nothing about where I could find it. I just remember uh, I remember riding in Ben Walshower's car. When we... Say, uh, hey, bitch, how much for head? When we talk about uh, when we talk about The Chronic, I've got a little background about that skit. Excellent. But that's for another day. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, the second time in this phone sex song where... Wait, is it is this one what's your number something like that yeah okay the second time that we get to the guy saying does a bear shit in the woods and wipe his ass with a fluffy white bunny rabbit <laughs> I died a little inside That's so stupid <laughs> sorry and I just turned off the stereo and drove home in silence wow and then I got home and I was thinking I'm probably about done with this that's halfway through the album I still had over an hour to go sorry Doug it was dispiriting okay yeah I mean yeah but you know that's that's the thing about this podcast man not all of these things are going to age well that's true or I mean they were really weren't all that great when they were popular (laughs) to begin with that's true we're here to take a clear eyed look at these things yes yes correct and, you know, I, I remember the time, and I remember the time fondly when this came out, but it was not a part of the fabric of my life. So I have no nostalgia to look back on it with. Oh, it was heavily into my... Because I was washing dishes at Boston Market. It was heavily in, my, in the fabric of my life. Yeah. Yeah. It was not, not a part of my college experience at this time. See, like Tupac, man, the thing about him is he's got a few, like, his... Pop songs are like out of this world. Like, uh, have you heard Dear Mama? Maybe. I know the title, but I don't know if I know the song. Okay. Like, just FYI, this is when I was like in the middle of like having been abandoned by my parents. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting in the college library listening to Dear Mama when my own mama basically like bounced out of the country, you know. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say it now, but, you know, I was tearing up a little bit. Well, I believe it. You know. And and Tupac brings that emotion out in people sometimes. And, like, he has another song with Digital Underground, I Get Around, which is, like, one of, I think, 
the the best like dance party songs I've ever heard. So you know he's his highs are high, but as you've seen on this album, his lows are low. And I mean you know that's that's the the that's kind of the deal you make I guess with Tupac is in order to get the the transcendent stuff there's. There are things where you're like, I don't even know why this is a thing. That's fair. And if the level of genius is such that you can stomach the crap, then it's worth it. And, and Especially you know, in the days when we just can create our own playlists. To be fair, you know, as, as we alluded to earlier, he was recording the songs on this album in, in a frenzy. Mm-hmm. And I think people are saying like, oh, you know, he knew he was going to die. He had a premonition. And that's why he was recording so much. I'm like, I, I don't know. I think maybe Suge Knight, like, being around, like, staring at him with maybe a gun in his pocket was a little more concerning at that immediate time. I think there was also cocaine. Seems like yeah. anytime you've got somebody in the studio, the flurry of activity, there's cocaine involved. I mean, there was weed for sure. Cocaine, I guess, probably. I mean, you know, it's not unknown to the rap community. Just curious. Yeah. I mean, crack was a thing. Yeah, but when you hear musicians in particular talk about cocaine, they're like, when you first start doing cocaine, it's fantastic. You just focus on things, and you are a lot more creative, and you know it goes downhill after that. People don't say that about crack. They just say about, oh, yeah, I got high off of it. Ruined my life. Musicians are like, hmm, cocaine is amazing when you first start doing it. You know? This bears further investigation. I'm just curious, because I know a lot of bands like, for example, Aerosmith, they were like, yeah, we did Get Your Wings, Toys in the Attic, Rocks, Holy Trinity of our albums. We did that on cocaine mm. because it could help us focus and you know the ideas were flowing. And it's just it reaches that point where it doesn't help you anymore. But um, early on, it's like Adderall mm. it just helps you focus and helps you get shit out. Interesting. So that I just I'm curious okay. you know, with this flurry of activity, what was fueling it? Was it just weed? No, no, weed wouldn't fuel activity. If you, weed fuels like sitting on the couch and playing PlayStation. That's what makes me wonder. Yeah. Like what What was the impetus to get so much done? I don't know. Was it just some people are genuinely that creative and they're like, I'm going to stay in the studio for. You know, 16 hours, and I'm going to lock down this thing that I want to get done. I'm going to hunt it down, and I'm going to kill it. Mm -hmm. Some people have that gene. Everyone else is like, I need constant, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to have a thermos of coffee, make sure that it never gets empty, or they're going to be like, get me some amyl nitrate or some cocaine or something to keep me awake and Mm -hmm. focused. Mm -hmm. Of course, now you can just snort a bunch of Adderall. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. So... I think we've come to the juncture of time when we have to determine the ranking for this song. Yes. So our rankings... For, for, this, for this album, not the song. Our rankings are, is this a cultural touchstone? Hmm. Beige carpet. Hmm. Atari, Atari Lynx. Sorry, I'm sorry. Atari Lynx or a regrettable dalliance. I know how I feel. Please. This is a regrettable dalliance for me. <laughs> because I feel like its time has passed. I feel like if you are trying to get into this music now, I don't think this album is the way to do it. No. 
uh, I think it would be a poor choice to spend your time. I think that you you want to go to the chronic and or doggy style if you really want to get into like West Coast rap. Um, and those those came out. Let's see, three three years and two years before this this one did. Yeah, doggy style is what ninety ninety three. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. So three years and four years before um, this this came out. So this was really like this was the album which was kind of the tipping point into into irrelevance for West Coast gangster rap. Hmm. I mean, not irrelevance in that it's it's not influential anymore, but like that that very over the top um, style that was prevalent in the early nineties. This was kind of the the culmination of it. I would say. Just because of the nostalgia associated with it, probably beige carpet for me. That's fair. Yeah. And I don't begrudge the history that you have with this album. I don't begrudge what it means for you because music is very personal. Mm -hmm. And something that's going to mean a lot to you isn't going to mean a lot to me and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially when you have that something that brings you back to a specific point in time. Um, That's a beautiful thing. I was listening to a song earlier today that I hadn't listened to in a long time that brings me back to the time that my mother was in the hospital before she died. Yeah. Um, and music does that, that song can just bring me right back to that time. Nice. And frankly, it made me cry. Yeah. Um, so the power that music has to do that is amazing to me. And this album is never going to be one of those for me, but I am glad that I have listened to it and will never have to listen to it again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, this being said, uh, it's time for us to determine what the next episode is, what the next assignment is. Well, in retaliation, I feel like I need to present something that is arguably all killer, no filler. Okay. So, I have two questions for you. Go. And the second question is relevant if you answer no to the first. Mm. Have you ever heard all of Master of Puppets by Metallica? No. Then your assignment is an an album that conceivably has no filler on it. Hmm. Master of Puppets. Okay, okay. A, I'm going to say, 40, maybe 45 minutes of solid West Coast heavy metal. All right. I will listen to it. Arguably one of the best albums of the genre, so I'll be interested to hear what you think about it. Okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All right. All right. Well, until next time, peace out. Bye. Watch this immediately.